Mac Power Users, episode 678, Sales and Studies with Carrie Provenzano. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. I can't believe the first month of the year is already gone. I find that upsetting, but pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It goes fast, doesn't it? It does. And, uh, and, and the Hackett family's doing okay. For those folks out there that don't know, Memphis has been going through some ice storms, but it sounds like you're, you're at least you're online. Uh, yeah. Online. So far, so good. You know, we had a really big one last year and I thought, oh, we'll be set for a while, but turns out Mother Nature had other plans. All right. Well, I'm glad you're all okay. And uh, happy to welcome our guest today, Carrie Provenzano. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Carrie is one of those people that uh, you as a listener of MPU may not know, but Carrie is super important to the show. We'll get into her job at Relay FM, but she's been part of the company now uh, coming up on six years, which is mind blowing to me. Uh, but we're going to get in, uh, get into all that, and uh, and on more power users today. I want to talk to y'all about bicycles as transportation. This came up on our planning call. Uh, Carrie has this like beautiful bike over her shoulder in the background of her video call. I was like, you know what? We should talk about that because all three of us use our bikes for uh, running errands and that sort of thing. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about. Yeah, looking forward to it. Sounds good. I'm super happy to have Carrie on her premiere on the Relay Network. Her premiere interview. Yeah, this is it. This is my debut. Yeah. Well, you are a Mac Power user, Carrie. All the stuff you're doing behind the scenes, you're using. We're going to be talking today about Airtable and Macs, and we got we got a lot to we got a lot to cover here today. So I guess we should get started. But um, uh, before we do, um, tell us a little bit about your history with Relay. Sure. Yeah. So I joined the company back in 2017. Um, I actually started as Mike's assistant, which sometimes we laugh about now, um, just because, you know, the scope of my role and how it's changed. So I started off um, in in that particular admin role and then moved on, I think it was after about a year um, into advertising sales manager. So that transition really was about handling more of the advertising side of things. So that's the sponsorships on the shows and handling the advertising copy that hosts read out. Um, And then that moved into vice president of sales um, just over a year ago, which really was when I started to take on many, many more um, of the of the accounts um, that we manage here at Relay FM. Yeah. And, you know, for people out there behind the scenes, Carrie really is has the job of herding cats right because you've got all these hosts that are always coming and going you know most of us have other jobs in addition to our hosting duties and uh, carrie manages to keep it all going it's very impressive what she's doing behind the scenes um so tell us about your your apple gear carrie yeah sure so i would say the majority of my work happens on my imac which is um a 27 inch uh 2019 um, Retina 5K display, iMac, basically everything that I have um, is just recommended by mostly Stephen. I think actually, Stephen, you're normally the person that I come to. I'm like, hey, I need this thing. So whatever spec my iMac is, is just whatever Stephen says that I should get. <laughs> so um, so most of the work happens on the iMac. Um, I do also have an iPad Pro, but to be honest, in the last year, 
I can probably count the amount of times on one hand that I've actually used it for work. Um, so I feel as though the iPad Pro may slowly be becoming redundant for me. Um, I might find another use for it at some point, but right now it just kind of sits there a little bit sad, um, uncharged most of the time, um, just because much of the work happens now um, on the iMac or on my MacBook Air, which is the M1 2020. Um, so I think that once I got the um, the MacBook Air with the M1 chip, that was really when the iPad Pro started to become a little bit redundant. I think I kind of flick between the two. So I, I either have an iPad Pro that I'm using a lot or a MacBook that I'm using a lot. Very rarely have both on the go at once. Um, and at the moment, it's the MacBook Air and the iMac. And then I also have an Apple Watch Series 8, which I love. I have a super old iPad mini, which again is kind of a little bit redundant now. So I would say that the main items are the iMac, the MacBook, um, and then I have an uh, iPhone 11 Pro Max as well, um, which has a few work apps. But actually recently I've kind of made sure that I have fewer work apps on my phone um, just to kind of have that separation um, mm -hmm. of like task and device. You know, I think I think it's interesting, you know, the, the iPad has had, you know, it just seems like it hasn't grown as much as it could have. It's a frequent topic on the show. But I also think, you know, listening to Carrie, that another problem with the iPad is the success of the MacBook Air, you know, and Apple Silicon in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the mm -hmm. features that always made the iPad stand out, you know, kind of the instant on and always on, seem uh, seeming like the always on battery, uh, some of that stuff is now on the the Mac too. So it's like there's just fewer and fewer reasons to try and make that transition. So I understand why why the iPad Pro has never really landed with you. Mm. Yeah, and I think also what I like about having um, the MacBook and the iMac is that the gestures are very similar, if not identical. Whereas when I was going from the iMac to the iPad Pro, suddenly, you know, I'm swiping, I'm trying to do split screens. It was like a whole different set of physical gestures to do my work. Um, whereas when I have the MacBook Air and the iMac, it, it all feels as though it's um, very similar and therefore easier. Do you have... Um... You know, there's a lot of talk now that they may make they may make a touchscreen Mac at some point. Is that of all interest to you? I don't know. I'm not sure. My immediate reaction is no. I don't think that I could see myself using that um, simply because of how I used my iPad Pro, which was I tried to touch it as little as possible with my actual hands. Um, I was happy to use the Apple Pencil. Um, and obviously the keyboard, um, I had the smart, Ooh, what, what's it called? Is it the smart case that had the keyboard? I forget the name of it. It's smart if it does not have a trackpad, but if it has a trackpad, it's the magic keyboard. I think somewhere with an Apple that made sense when they did it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, where. I know <laughs> a, lot, a lot of smarts, a lot of magics. It's, it is hard to like nail them down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, okay, so mine was the smart keyboard. But I do wonder, actually, if I tried the Magic keyboard, uh, or sorry, the Magic case, I wonder whether I would use my iPad Pro more because I think it's the um, the touchpad that I miss the most. Um, but yeah, I think that with a, if they did a touchscreen iMac, I can't see myself using it because the Apple Pencil was my preferred way to use the iPad Pro, and I really can't see me using an Apple Pencil on an iMac. I think that would be very peculiar. 
Yeah, I I still really really wish we had the uh, the ability to get one of those iMacs that tilts down and turns into like a big iPad. That that is my dream Mac, but I get it. I get it. Yeah, we've spoken a lot on the show about that big twenty seven inch iMac, and that's a product that Apple has not brought back in the Apple Silicon mm-hmm. transition. Like that, you can't buy a big iMac anymore. Uh, if you mm-hmm. had to replace that desktop today, uh, would you look at an iMac that was smaller or do you would you still want that big screen and then maybe end up with like a, a studio display and a Mac mini or something? Or would you not replace it at all? Would you just would you just go laptop only? I definitely wouldn't go laptop only. I really like having a big screen. Um, and I think I would definitely go down the route of having. Um, did you say it was called the studio display? Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely go down the route of having the studio display. Um, because I just, I don't think I can compromise on the prime real estate that the 27 inch iMac offers. So if, if, if my hand were forced and I, and I had to get rid of it, um, I would definitely go down that route. And I think that probably would be my next move as well. Um, but I, I don't think I could, um, I don't think I could compromise on space. Once I have a bigger device, I find it really hard to go back. This happened with, um, my iPhone as well. Once I went to a Pro Max, holding another iPhone just felt ridiculous. Um, and I, I did go down at one point. Um, I can't remember. They, there, was, there, was a, there was a line of iPhones that came out and I thought, oh, I'll try that. That might, be, that might be a nice way to spend less time on my phone if it's physically a smaller device. And I just hated it. And I, I, <laughs> I bought another one within like three months or something. Um, so, yeah. so I, I would, think I remember us talking about that as like, you you, you mm-hmm. flip flopped around for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I, I had like a I had a moment of uncertainty, and then I was like, "Oh no, this is terrible. I need I need a I need a bigger iPhone again." Yeah, I, I think most people are really they're really defined on phone size. Like they know they like the big one, or they know they don't. And uh, there's not a whole lot of people in the middle on that on that question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. I actually found it really difficult at first. Um, just having the not having basically I didn't feel like it fit in my palm and actually I think Stephen I think this might have been the original reason that I went down to an even smaller iPhone was that I went for the big iPhone and I didn't like that I had to shimmy the phone down um, mm-hmm. in order to swipe um, and then I went okay forget this I'm gonna go super small and just get the smallest one they do and then quickly went back but but it did take an adjustment period um, and initially um, I didn't, I didn't like the, the kind of shimmying around, but now thankfully, um, gestures are a little bit better than when they were first, you know, when, when the bigger phones were first introduced, I felt like the gestures weren't quite there for, for smaller hands. Um, you know, now if I swipe down, I can see the search, um, function immediately. I have a feeling that when the bigger phones first came out, I don't think that was the case. I think you, I think you had to swipe Oh, I forget now. I forget which way it was, but I remember just really struggling with it. And then it was one of the iOS updates. I was like, oh, this is way easier now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even even this year, they did a thing where where you're paging through your pages of apps. Search shows up there as like a shortcut. I think you can turn it off if you don't want it. But they've definitely worked mm-hmm. over the years to make big phones a bit more uh, accessible to you, especially to use with, with one hand. I mean, think about like, Mm-hmm. Safari has, you know, you can put all the UI at the bottom and uh, they've done that with with uh, Apple Books now as well. And and I actually expect that to continue. I expect that we will see over time 
iOS adopt uh, designs across more apps, like the important stuff's towards the bottom, because then you can carry a big phone and still kind of get the basics done. Even if it's a really a two-handed device for most things, I think it makes sense to for them to sort of rethink more of that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they will, because I think it works really well in the places they've done it already. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I agree there. So tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, your Apple Watch Series 8. Uh, are you doing sleep tracking or, or fitness stuff with it? Yes. Yes to both. Um, so I'm doing my usual um, sleep tracking. Um, sorry, I'm doing my usual fitness tracking um, as, as I have been with all of my watches. I think I got the first watch, maybe the second actually. This is, this is my third um, and it's by far my favorite. Um, I really like the kind of always on display. I think that's really nice for the fitness tracking as well, because the way I have my screen set up is, um, I have the fitness complications so I can see, um, my rings, I can start workout really easily. And I also have Spotify there as well. I do also sleep track. Um, so I use sleep plus plus, and I really like getting that sleep score. It's like the first thing I check in the morning. And, and since tuning into that, I found that it's improved a lot. Um, and now it kind of becomes like a, a game that I, I want like a green score every day. Although I have to say, I find it very unsettling when I wake up and it just says one and I'm like, oh no, like <laughs> I feel like I'm not going to make it to the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Dave, Dave's done a really good job with sleep plus plus. And, and I, I have the same experience where it's a uh, recovery score, it, which basically I, it takes into account, I believe, your sleep, but also your activity from the previous day and basically kind of telling you uh, how ready you will be for sort of a heavy fitness day. And it's fantastic. And it nails me like it. it mm. I feel like if I look at that number. I, I can tell you how the day is going to be now. I'm in the middle of a little like brain experiment of like, OK, I used to look at that number first thing when I when I woke up. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should like get like through the day or like through a workout and then look and see. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, putting myself in a state of mind where the number is 36. I'm like, well, I'm just going to have chips and uh, not work out today. Yeah, for sure. There's there's like a psychological element there where you almost then become limited, perhaps by the the readiness score. I agree with you, though, Stephen, like it, it gets me so accurately and it is super smart. So I think it's is it your heart rate variation and your resting heart rate? So basically, yeah, how much you've how much you've worked out the day before. Um, I think stress levels come into it as well. I was doing some reading on the heart rate variation, and it, it's data that sounds like it should be the opposite. So the higher your heart rate variation, the better. Um, and it's something to do with your parasympathetic nervous system and other various things. Um, but I find that it's just very, very accurate. If I feel as though I've had a super stressful day, even if I get, you know, my target sleep and that's all in green, if the heart rate variation isn't there because I've had a stressful day, the, the sleep score is lower. So I think it's really useful because for me, it kind of takes it a step further than, you know, the straightforward fitness tracking, because it's more about, I feel like it's a, it's a more holistic approach, you know, how stressful were how stressful was your day? Um, what was your resting heart rate? You know, all these factors, I feel like nutrition can play into those things as well. Um, so, so yeah, really, really enjoying sleep plus plus for that. So how did you guys land on sleep plus plus? There's so many different sleep tracking apps. I was looking at this the other day. I mean, there is a abundance of riches out there and I don't mm -hmm. know which one I should be using. 
Is it just you sleep plus plus and stop asking questions? I mean, what what is it? I'm trying to be a good friend to underscore. Uh, Yeah, I get that. Yeah. No, 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 you're right. There's a lot of competition. For me, sleep plus plus was just complicated enough. Like, okay, this is, this really jives with what I want to see. I think another one people really look at is called auto sleep. And I think it's gotten, uh, easier to manage over the years, but at least for a while, the UI and auto sleep was just like way too much for me. Like I had, I didn't really need, I felt overwhelmed, I guess when I, yeah. when I looked at it and, uh, but I know people who love it and like it, it's rated really well in the app store. And so I, I would say go try a bunch of them, but for yeah. me, sleep plus plus kind of was the right balance of information without information overload. Well, the, the one thing you know you're going to get with the David Smith app is it's always going to be like up to date and like there's not going to be like dumb bugs in it. The guy like really takes it seriously. Yeah, but yes, the, he uh, does. Uh, yeah, but you know, I I have I have gone off and on with this stuff. You know, sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't like waking up in the middle of the night with a watch on my wrist. You know, mm-hmm. um, the the other advantage though of sleeping with the the watch is that, like if your spouse. If you have alarm sets and you don't want to wake up your spouse, I like, you know, I like that it'll wake you up with a tap on your wrist and yeah. not, you know, blast off the alarm system in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a nice, really nice feature. And and I I feel like that that I, I get that. Like sometimes it's I just don't want to sleep with a watch on or I find it uncomfortable. That's gotten worse with the ultra because it's enormous yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and pointy yeah. on one end. But uh, <laughs> I think if you haven't tried sleep tracking recently with the Apple Watch, like I think you may be surprised at just how good it is. And and the battery yeah. life, I think, is a big thing, too. I know uh, I just got Marius Series 8 for Christmas. She was on a s- 6, I think. And, you know, whether it's two years of age or the battery is actually better, probably both. You know, she's sleep tracking now with her Series 8 where she couldn't really ever pull that off before, battery life-wise. It's come a long way, and, and Apple's embraced it. You know, in the beginning, it was like, hey, did you know this thing is sleep track? And Apple would be like, no, 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 like, don't don't talk about that, you know. But they've they've built features into their apps as well um, to, to manage all this stuff. And so I, I think it's getting to a point where you can do it pretty easily. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, you do. I, I know. I occasionally have a rough night, you know, and I'm not sure why. Maybe I ate something. I got something on my mind. But um, having data when you don't sleep well is so much better than saying, "Man, I, you know, I know I was awake for an hour at one, but I don't know how well I slept." Otherwise, I mean, the data it really does help. Sometimes it helps settle your mind, or sometimes it can set off alarm bells to say, "Wow, you really didn't get a good night's sleep. You need to be be addressing that." Mm-hmm. This episode is made possible by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more. 1Password is fantastic for individuals. It's also fantastic for families and for work. Uh, so for me, this is take me for example. I have a 1Password vault that I share with my spouse. Things like our utility company and our banking information. Things that we need to get into are there in a shared vault. But we also each have our own personal vaults as as well. And it's the same at work. We have one for Relay. Some stuff I share with people, some stuff I don't. And I get lots of control over who has access to what. Over on their blog just the other day, 1Password had a blog post up about some of the things that are coming to 
password really soon. I think what's cool about this is they're they're putting their roadmap out uh, for everyone to see where they're going. My personal favorite feature that's coming is it going to be the ability to reorder things within an item. I think that's going to be awesome. But go check out their blog. There's always great stuff over there. So one password. You need a place to secure your passwords. They all need to be unique. You can't remember them all. Of course, a one password logs in with Touch ID, Face ID. Uh, once you are in, you have access to all of your logins, all of your secure notes, all of your banking information, everything you store in there. Again, you want to go to onepassword.com slash MPU. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial. Uh, and when you decide to sign up, you'll get 20% off as well. Once again, it's onepassword.com slash MPU. All right, Carrie, um, so you uh, you work from home, and you've been able to kind yes. of set up a nice custom workspace. You've you, uh, shared a, a really nice picture with us. Tell us about your workspace, because you've got a couple things going on here that I think people would be interested in. Yeah, sure. So um, so I have a, a standing desk that is built into the wall with a seated desk. So I feel like this has been a long time coming because I lived in two houses prior to this one where my work setup was just a desk in the corner of a room. Um, and I did have a standing desk, which I really liked because there are times where I just feel like I just can't sit any longer. Um, and even before I had a, a walking pad, which I'll talk a little bit about, I liked just being able to stand, particularly in meetings. Um, yeah. So now that I have my own office, um, like a dedicated office space in my house, I really wanted to have a seated desk, a standing desk, and for it to just work really cohesively. So I looked into a few different options, but it became clear quite quickly that Nothing was going to fit together quite as well as just having somebody build the thing. Um, so I got someone around and just said, like, okay, here is the here is the shape that I want. You know, I, I want like a standing area where I can have my laptop and my keyboard and mouse. And then I want my iMac um, with my desk chair. Um, so, so that was built and I really like it. And I have a walking pad underneath the standing bit, but it's on wheels. So I can, if I want to, I can wheel it out and just stand there, but I never do. Um, I, I think I would just, if I just want to stand, but not walk, I'll just stand on the treadmill. Um, and it's foldable as well, which is really nice. I had a treadmill before that was, um, it just, it was just stuck in that position all the time. I used to constantly trip over it. Whereas now I can fold this one in, which is really nice. Um, so, so I have the walking pad, um, and that's mostly used. I would say if I'm in meetings, it's quite useful. <laughs> I remember I was on a call with Mike once and I was just like a little bit out of breath and I was like, sorry, I've been on this thing for like half an hour, but I want to do half an hour more. So you're just going to have to cope with me being a little bit, um, a little bit out of breath here. Um, but, but generally speaking, I have it on a, um, quite an easy walking pace. Um, and it's, it's surprising actually how many steps I can kind of clock up. Um, just, you know, doing an hour of work. And, you know, for people who are strapped to their desks all day, you will know it can be hard to kind of get to, you know, 7,000, 8,000, 10,000 steps in a day when you, when you sat, uh, when you're sat at your desk all day. So, so I really like the walking pad for that. Um, one gripe I do have, um, and this is 
kind of going back to the Apple Watch, I really struggle tracking my treadmill workouts with the Apple Watch. I've resorted to putting it on my ankle. But the problem with that is when someone, when there is a delivery, I, I'm concerned that it looks like I have some sort of tag attached to my ankle. Sure, like suggesting you're a prisoner. That perhaps, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Some sort of prisoner. So <laughs> there's been times where I've like tried to take it off before answering the door, but I, I never have time to. Um, so I do wish that there was a a better system for tracking um treadmill workouts but but i appreciate it's difficult because my wrists are you know resting on the desk and it's my feet that's doing the walking so um it's a tricky one for apple to solve i think um but but i would very much appreciate it if they did because that's that's the biggest gripe that i have um with the watches it's it's not particularly good at that well, hopefully, you know, you would think Apple would have that sorted out. There's got to be people in Cupertino using these treadmill desks. But, the, um, but your, you know, your treadmill desk really is, it looks like, built for the purpose you're using it for. I mean, it doesn't have big handlebars on it, and it's not on an incline. It's just a simple, you know, walking pad, as you called it. And I thought that was interesting. We've had a lot of people on the show over the years that are big believers in that, and there's science behind it. Um, there was a there was a great book um, by Annie Murphy Paul came out a year or two ago called The Extended Mind. And they um, they did some studies where they had radiologists looking at x-rays. And some of them were at a desk and the others were at a setup like yours with a you know walking desk. And the ones on the walking desk found more problems in the radio, you know, found more problems in the x-rays than the ones that were sitting down. So uh, I think there's something behind that. And uh, I am intrigued. Yeah, for sure. I also feel that um, it's really good for alertness. So particularly after lunch, that's when I'm most likely to to walk on my walking pad. Um, and I find that it really just keeps me, it kind of just helps me avoid that afternoon slump. So I can definitely see benefits um, from like a physical point of view of, you know, getting fewer aches and pains from sitting down all day, but also um, from from an energy and alert po- alertness point of view as well. All right. Um, let's get back to the work part of, of your job, though. You've got a lot going on. You've got to manage, you know, all these cats like we were talking earlier. Um, what are what are your chosen tool sets to do that? OmniFocus is my saving grace um, for juggling all of the various things that I juggle. Um, So I think I've used OmniFocus, I mean, it has to be at least six years now. I I was using it before I started working for Relay. I remember the day I created my Relay FM project. Um, So so it's definitely been a while. Um, And what I like about OmniFocus is just having, I like having the separate projects, um, I've recently started using forecast um, a bit more consistently. Um, You know, some tasks I have need to be completed every week. Some tasks are just a one-off, but it's nice to have that forecast view where I can just see what needs to be done today. Yeah, I did try, I mean, I've tried many over the years, but what I've found is that OmniFocus, it just has the most comprehensive, um, you know, repeating tasks, um, different date options, you know, if I want to have something repeat at, you know, the the third Tuesday of every month, it allows me to do that. I actually like that it's not um, natural language processing. Um, I think, is it Todoist? Um, I think they rely on that. That's that's not really something that I like. I prefer to do all the buttons and toggles and clicking things here and there. I'd rather do that than the sure. natural language processing. 
but yeah, so so OmniFocus is my tool of choice um, in terms of general task management. And and that and OmniFocus is you know an app that is great for you, you're an individual. It's not necessarily a collaboration app, but um, you are using Notion as well. And uh, I'm curious how that fits with with OmniFocus. Yeah, so with Notion, I would say that I use Notion for bigger picture stuff. So, you know, things like overall goals, maybe for the year, that's personal goals, um, targets. Um, and then also I manage my own small team as well. And we use Notion um, just to kind of share information. It's kind of like an extension of our Slack. So that's where that's where Notion comes in. It, it's it's the bigger picture stuff. Um, you know, I would say OmniFocus is very granular for me. It's it's very much about the day to day and the minutia of what needs to be done. And then Notion is kind of like a zoomed out focus. Um, and I just like that there are a few different options in Notion of of how to have um, that information displayed. Um, so, for example, I have a um, uh are they called uh sorry is it a team space in notion a board i never i never remember the their kind of official terminology but but i have a space in notion that's dedicated to vacation time so i have a calendar view um which is really nice so i can kind of click through and see um you know when i've got time booked off um and when i'm due to take some time off so so i like having that different view, which OmniFocus doesn't allow, which is why I kind of keep the separation between bigger picture stuff in OmniFocus and then more granular data, sorry, bigger picture stuff in Notion and then yeah. more granular day-to-day in OmniFocus. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know you like web tools because you're a big big Airtable fan too, but we're going to get to that in, in just a minute. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the real job you've got, or a, a big piece of your job is communications. I mean, you deal with sponsors, you deal with hosts. I know that you've got a, a lot going on, uh, coming in and out in terms of communications. Mm-hmm. What are your What are your tools for that? So, for communications, anything that's coming in from a sponsor point of view comes to my inbox. Um, and I think Mike's spoken before about um, we use Spark, which is really useful because it has the chat feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're able to discuss a particular thread, um, and that that's been really useful for us. And any any kind of gripes that have happened with Spark along the way, um, there's been a few kind of clunky updates. We've never left it because we can't let go of the um, we can't let go of that of that thread. And actually, that's kind of become part of my workflow now as well. I have an interesting use case for it where um, once an email is shared you you have this um ability to add a comment which is which is where mike and i can have a discussion if we need to have a discussion or i can ask him something but also what i've started what i started using it for pretty much as soon as that feature launched is marking the task as done in that particular comment area so i actually what i would like to see is the ability to write that comment without the email thread being shared. Currently, it's just a sharing tool. So it's just the idea being the comment is to somebody else. Um, but I kind of use it as a, yep, this is all set um, because we have copy coming in, lands in the inbox. Um, and once I've set it, I will write the comment kind of to myself, but it just, I'll, I'll write, I have a text expander shortcut that just says all set and then I can and then I drag it to my um copy done folder. So so from a sponsor side everything I kind of work from my inbox um in terms of the kind of most pressing tasks of the day. 
And then for host communications, that all really happens in Slack. So I'll use um, reminders in Slack. So if a host wants me to let them know when certain copy is set and I know that I'm going to be setting that copy in the morning, I'll set a reminder for perhaps 10 a.m. the next day. And then I'll go ahead and let the host know once I've done it. So so there's quite a few moving parts and it's all about kind of setting the right timers at the right time. Um, sorry, the right reminders at the right time just to make sure that everything keeps flowing as it should. Mm-hmm. And and to further complicate it, a lot of times the, the hosts are over in the United States and you're in the UK, so you're time delayed. You know, like a lot of times uh, when they write you, you're in bed and then the opposite. So uh, it, For sure. I, I don't envy that. Yeah, it definitely adds um, an additional complication. I mean, I kind of trust that most people... Um, have got their kind of do not disturb settings um, set. At least I hope they do, because otherwise some people are getting some 4am messages from me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I tend to just I tend to just send the messages. I know that Slack does have a scheduling feature, but, but sometimes, you know, copy can change or something else can come in last minute. And I think if I started scheduling based on the person's time zone, that would be a real danger zone then, um, because if something got updated and then I mess and then my scheduled message sent saying something else, I think that could get a bit complicated when it came to you know setting copy for the different ad slots. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk for a minute about the reminder feature in Slack because it is it is really cool. It, you can uh, use like the little three dot icon, or in mobile, I think you just long press on a message. And you can have Slack itself remind you of that message. And you, there's a bunch of predetermined times. So it's like, remind me in 10 minutes, remind me tomorrow, remind me next week. But you can also customize that. So it's like, you know what? I really need to be reminded of this thing David sent me Tuesday at you know 11 a.m. And that may not be a pre-saved option, but I can go in there and manually set it. And then whenever that time comes up, you get a, just a private message in Slack reminding you of the message. It has a link to the message. You can mark it as complete. Uh, I use this all the time, especially towards the end of the day, something that, okay, I need to make sure I see tomorrow. Um, Even if it's not a task, even if it's just like, oh, I just need to like check in on this or be reminded of something. It's, it's really fantastic. And it's all within Slack, which is what I like about it. I'm not going out to reminders, you know, or OmniFocus or Todoist or whatever, and creating a task due for the morning. It's like, I'm already going to be in Slack. It's running 24-7 on my computer in my office. It just will ding me at the correct time. I think it's really awesome that they've built this in. Yeah, I agree. I love it. And I I don't know, do you remember, Stephen, when this became a feature? It wasn't there in the beginning, uh, but I do feel like it, I feel like we've had it for several years. I think it's been around. Hmm. I honestly don't know how I would live without it now because I think Slack would be a much harder place to manage um, kind of incoming tasks without it. So yeah, I, I agree. I love it. And and I would say actually that I feel as though the built-in um, time, uh, kind of like the predetermined remind me in, you know, 20 minutes, one hour, I feel as though they're really intuitive. I, I basically always use those ones. Um, the only time I ever use the custom feature is if I'm maybe out of office the following week, then I might set it to remind me when I get back. But otherwise, I think they've done a good job at those predetermined times um, because they're kind of always spot on for what I need. All right. So 
we've got the communications, we got the tasks. The other big piece of this system would be your calendar. Um, how does that fit in? So my calendar, I would say I use my calendar in what I consider to be the most traditional sense in that I try to only put events in my calendar. So I've tried time blocking before, but it just it didn't really stick for me. Um, I think it worked well in the earlier days of my career when I had more clients and I was managing time slightly differently. Um, but now I think that my work definitely requires me to be more agile. So as I said, I manage my own team. So sometimes if something comes up, it might be that I need to take care of that immediately. Um, likewise, if something comes up in another area of my work, I also need to take care of that immediately. So by having the time blocking, I think that worked well in the early days um, when my work was kind of better suited to being able to shut something off completely. But I think that as responsibilities grow, naturally, I think that agility is kind of built in to your role a little more. And that's definitely something that I've noticed. So being able to take care of something immediately is really important, especially when you have, you know, three ads on however many shows every single week you know there's there's lots of um there's lots of things to manage at any one time so i think the reason the time blocking didn't stick for me was that i would come out of whatever i had predefined that time to be to handle something else and then it was like right now what do i do i change the time block for later on in the day that was supposed to handle this do i just go back to what i was doing before um i actually felt that time blocking was supposed to um, kind of rid me of that that transition period of, you know, getting whiplash between tasks. But I actually found it made it worse because I was constantly pulling back to something else. Um, whereas now I just have events in my calendar. Um, I might have something, if something is really important that needs to be done on a particular day, then I might add it in my calendar as a backup just on the off chance I don't pay attention to a notification in OmniFocus. So if it's super, super integral, then I will add it to the calendar. But otherwise, just events in the calendar. So time off, um, when other team members are out of office, places I need to be. I really try to keep it just so that when I look at my calendar, I can see where do I need to be today, not what do I need to do from a task point of view. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I and I get this because I'm an advocate of time blocking. A lot of people are like, "Well, this is just too much work," and it feels really like um, uh, like a commitment. And what I would say is, is number one, if it doesn't work for you, don't do it. That's totally fine. There's no wrong, right, and wrong way, really. But uh, I do think some people they take those time blocks too seriously. Like as much as I like time yeah. blocks, I will throw them overboard very quickly if there's a good reason. And uh, you know, this is just, mm-hmm. and I think. Uh, people who feel like like they're carved in stone, that is not a good. That's not a healthy way to do it. You're just gonna make you yeah. will make yourself crazy that way. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's why I didn't gel with it. I think yeah. it's uh, I, I I'm too uptight. The inner the inner Hermione Granger was just like, no, it says you must be doing this, therefore you must be doing this. Yeah, yeah. You can't um, do that. So, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I do actually think that that could work to my advantage. And something I have been thinking about is using um 
time blocking in a in a in a miniature way. Um, it, it's been something that I was thinking about towards the end of last year, um, but using it in a way to block off time that I don't want to be interrupted by anything else. Um, you know, I imagine this maybe being an hour or two a week where I really don't want to have any other tasks that crop up. And I think it could be useful in that sense because I can kind of run with the intensity that I approached time blocking with before, but actually use it to my advantage. So, you know, okay, this hour is blocked off for this thing. Nothing else is going to get in the way of that. Yeah. Another way to do that is like inverse time blocking or I call it time boxing. It's like take something that you don't want to take over your day and give it a limited amount of time with a block. Like for me, it's email. I give email mm-hmm. 45 minutes a day, basically, and I do as much as I can in that 45 minutes, and then I stop. And uh, mm-hmm. I find that if I let email just take over my life, I actually don't I don't produce anything. So I had to put a box around it. Mm-hmm. And so you mm-hmm. kind of use it in, in the inverse. But, it, or, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about this stuff. But but what, what's your calendar? Are you just using the Apple calendar app? I use Fantastical. Okay. And... I forget why I originally went with Fantastical. I remember this was a discussion that I had with Mike. I was using the Apple Calendar, but I was running into a lot of problems with the various email accounts that I had syncing properly. And Mike just said, you just need Fantastical. And I just (laughs) downloaded it. And I was like, like, yeah, you were right. I needed fun. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, you were right. I needed it. Um, And I I haven't looked back. It it kind of, it, it works exactly how I want it to work. So one other question I forgot to ask you earlier when you're talking about uh, using Spark for your mail um, was the uh, do you ever use the link feature with all the different emails that you're working with? Do you like copy links to emails and put them in tasks or other places so you can get back to them? No, I haven't used that feature before. Yeah, so there's a feature, and I don't think even a lot of people know this exists because like Apple doesn't make it easy to discover in their apps. Spark makes it a bit easier, but they make it proprietary, so you have to use their app if you use it. But you can you can actually get a link to an email and then you can put it in your tasks or in your notion database or on your calendar and then you can jump back to it really quickly uh, in spark you just hit the sharing button and they say they have, there's a button there i think says copy link or something like that um in apple mail depending on which device you're on um it's pretty it can get pretty difficult um you know we use an apple script on the mac to do it and uh, you know, it's it's complicated on the iOS devices. But uh, yeah, that's one of the nice things that Spark does. It makes it really easy to get those links to your emails. Um, there, there's a lot to like about Spark, but man, I wish they used the same format as Apple. I don't, I don't like it when these apps uh, em, embed their proprietary links because then you're stuck with that app. You know, if you ever change apps, you've got all these links to an app you don't have installed on your, your device anymore. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Just go to squarespace.com slash MPU. Look, we've all figured out that these social media platforms are kind of weird. So why are we entrusting them with our websites? You shouldn't do that. You should own your own little corner of real estate on the internet. And the best way to do that is with Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website or engage your audience and sell anything, products, services, even the content you create. But you can use Squarespace for so much more. Squarespace has just got you covered. 
With Squarespace, you can get blogging. Squarespace has a powerful blogging tool to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. They have all the tools you need built right in. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. And if you're worried about SEO, they've got that covered too. You can use the suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. And you know, the next step after your blog, you want to start sending out a newsletter and you can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace's email campaigns. Why not encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to become loyal customers? Just start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Plus, built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. I've been using Squarespace for years. I've ran Max Sparky on it as well as my legal website. Uh, but it's not just me. My family uses it. My wife has a website on Squarespace, as do my kids. And we have a bunch of friends that have been a little entrepreneurial and wanting to set up a business. Well, we got them started with Squarespace. I had another group of friends that had a new baby and they wanted a website for that. We sent them to Squarespace. It's just so easy to recommend it because it's rock solid, stable, and anyone can do it. Look, if you're listening to the Mac Power users, you're a little nerdy. Your friends know that too. They may come to you and say, hey, I want to set up a website. Can you help me? If you send them to Squarespace, you don't have to. You know, give them an hour of your time, just enough to get them really rocking with the Squarespace tools. And not only will they never need your help again, they will be forever grateful to you. And when you do it, use the offer code MPU, get them 10% off. That makes you look like a hero and makes us look like a hero too. We love that. So just head over to squarespace.com slash MPU for that free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, squarespace.com slash MPU and offer code MPU for that 10% off. And our thanks to Squarespace for all of their support of the Mac Power users and all of FM. Gary, we wanted to talk to you about... Uh, your use of Airtable. I know behind the scenes at RelayFM, you're using Airtable to manage a lot of your advertising, your selling, your uh, follow-up, all that stuff, tracking of deals. Uh, Could you walk us through a little bit uh, about the basics of your Airtable setup and then why Airtable felt like the right decision for those? Yeah, sure. So so Airtable really dates back to just after I joined Relay FM. In fact, I think the first task that Mike ever set me on was, okay, you need to find a CRM. Um, and initially we went with a tool called Pipedrive, um, which Mike and I both liked because we could see the monetary amount in the pipeline. So we could see what was being discussed, what was at the final stages, what had been recently closed. And we really liked being able to see that at the top. Where Pipedrive didn't work is that it didn't have enough filtering options. It it was good for kind of straightforward sales, but for the kind of sales that we do at Real FM, you know, I I wanted to categorize deals by show, for example. So so I knew which sponsors had sponsored which shows um, and which kind of types of shows they were interested in. So that's really where I landed on Airtable. I would say that I use Airtable mostly as a smart database. I know there's a ton that you can do with automations. That's not something I've really looked into other than we have data from the Airtable going to a couple of Slack channels. Maybe it's just the one, 
that gets updated, as you say, Stephen, you know, as deals progress or as we do cold contacting. So the Relay FM kind of sales base is is split into a number of tables. The first one being um, campaigns. And this is really an overview of deals. But I would say each, so each card in Airtable is a sponsor. And then the deals or the individual campaigns actually get tracked within each card. Um, and what I like about Airtable is I have the option to view it in the grid format, which is really nice at times um, when I, if I'm doing filtering to see, okay, who hasn't been contacted for the upcoming quarter. Um, I can do filtering really easily and just get a list. Um, and equally, they have a pipeline view, which means that I can see um, slightly different to pipe drive. It's not, it's not necessarily a time-focused um, pipeline view. It's more um, about the kind of buckets that each sponsor falls into. Um, but it, for, for me, it's really the, the labeling and the filtering system um, that works best for me. So I can filter by shows, which is really, um, that's really important or really useful rather. If we have, for, um, for example, a cancellation, um, then I can filter all of the sponsors by the shows that they've sponsored to see, okay, who's most likely to be able to take this cancellation. And then also in the earlier days when Mike and I were just working, um, when we had more of a, Mike was passing over accounts to me, we really made use of the assigned to feature. So we set up um, a status um, and it was either assigned to Mike or it was assigned to me. And then gradually I was helping with more and more accounts. So in the early days, that that was really useful because we got a good overview of who Mike was handling and who I was handling. Um, and also we have a tab, which is something that I don't refer to that often now, but it was very important um, in, in the first few years. Um, it's a tab of resources and it's essentially just cards with different links to various Google spreadsheets and documents with um, really niche information about particular sponsors um, and various things that basically didn't have a home. And one of the things um, about Airtable that I liked when I pitched it as a potential pipe drive uh, replacement was we can also include all of this information that currently doesn't have a home. It's just floating around somewhere in the Google Drive. Um, we can kind of put it all in one place. So so that's kind of an overview of the, the Real FM sales base. And this is something that I work in every day, um, you know, to update deals, um, to mark when a deal is closed, to look at um, who needs to be recontacted again? Um, so it really is. It really is kind of the the informational hub um, of of the Real FM sales side. It's interesting for me because I'm not in the ad sales part of the business. My revenue generation is through the membership side, so I keep up with this basically just through Slack. And so several times a day, our sales data channel will get an update from Airtable. It's like, oh, this deal closed, or you know, these people we cold called, they weren't interested. And uh, I like that I can get just the high level of it right through that integration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting. Uh, something that really jumped out at me was your collection of like resources <laughs> within Airtable, right? They're basically just cards with links in them. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like so many of these tools, you you kind of have to elbow that stuff in somehow. And yeah. uh 
and it does make me wonder, like, and I know it's been a long time, but in looking at these these various things, these various services, like, um, what are some things that maybe you would want that Airtable doesn't quite have, or, or you've got to do some weird workaround with? Yeah. So, so this is something that I think is going to become um, maybe slightly redundant for us in the near future. I think that actually we could still use Airtable as um, as a resources place because I think it, it does that really nicely, and it's it's nice that you can label things as either you know sales information or just reference material or copy. Um, so that's good. But in terms of the campaign tracking, I really feel as though we need a more specific sales tool, which is something I'm looking into at the moment and a discussion that I've already had um, with Mike about Airtable is very good because it's very um, it's very flexible and you can customize it to exactly what you need. However, um, I think from a sales point of view, there comes a point where I really want something that is very sales focused. Um, you know, Airtable... I think of it as Airtable is neutral um, in terms of the data that goes in and how it gets processed and what what Airtable wants for each individual card. It's it's completely neutral. Um, but when you use um, other uh, CRMs such as Salesforce, Close.io, it doesn't feel neutral at all. It feels very much as though the software, everything in the software is geared towards how do we get this particular deal to move forward? And I think that it's, it's that that I think will eventually trump Airtable and and mean that it, it kind of becomes redundant as our CRM. I think it served us really well, particularly we had so much information and it was like, okay, it's got to go somewhere. But I think that the, the campaign tracking part is going to need to break out into something that is designed specifically um, for mm-hmm. sales. Yeah. I mean, it's Airtable isn't a CRM. I mean, it, it's uh, really, it's like an online database program and that's great. Yeah. And it, you're right. It just gives you so much you can do with it. I mean, we, the automators podcast is run entirely through Airtable. We do all the show planning and everything in there. Um, the field guides are all Airtable databases when they begin, as we start going through the edit process of so the, you know, everybody that's involved can see where each video stands. But I can see, like, when you want to do, like, proper CRM stuff, like follow-up on leads and things, it's not really that good for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that the system that I have in terms of contacting sponsors is 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 pretty solid. So I use Text Expander for, um, you know, the the emails that, that go out to sponsors. Um, so in a way, I think that's what's actually delayed moving to a new CRM quicker, because if I didn't have... Um, text expander, I would definitely be looking at a CRM where I could have those um, those templates that kind of, you know, automatically send or, yeah. um, you know, I can call upon them when needed. But I think the use of text expander has, has elongated how much we could get from Airtable. Um, but I think ultimately, um, as you say, David, it, it's not a CRM. Um, and I think that in order for my job to be easier i think i just needed a dedicated um a dedicated sales tool which um it became a bit of a it became a bit of a um 
a funny point in our in our recent goals meeting, Stephen, where as soon as I mentioned it to you, like, hey, Stephen, I'm going to be looking at a new CRM. And Mike was just immediately giggling in the background because, you know, it, in the early days, it was like, OK, yeah, we're, a, you know, we're an independent company. We we want to do things our way. Let's let's do it via you know, initially Pipedrive and then Airtable. And now it's like, oh, okay. The big CRMs like Salesforce and Close.io, they, yeah. they they know what they're doing. Okay, I, I, guess, I guess we'll go to them now. Uh, you know what? I, I think that is a frequent trap us nerds fall into because we can do things like make a keyboard maestro script or a text expander, you know, snippet or uh, write a little Apple script. We find all these ways to make things more efficient which keep us from like going to the solution or maybe even keep us from like getting like so, a human to help us because we always figure out these like little solutions. And there is a, there is a tipping point there where the little solutions just aren't enough. And um, it, it's hard to get over that jumping spot because you have this degree of ownership of this thing you've built. Like mm-hmm. the air table you've built is beautiful, but you know, it's, it still isn't, isn't everything, um, you know, right. And, at some point, you do have to say, okay, well, this is good, but we also have to add this yeah. other piece. Yeah, look, if Carrie wants to yeah. kill the vibe and go to Salesforce, I mean, who am I to stop her? Yeah, no. <laughs> now, now we're like the man. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh. laughs> now, I think that is a really good point, David. I mean, I think about some of the tools that I use. And yeah, like if you take two or three tools and kind of glue them together, then I get what I want. I think that's totally a trap we fall into as power users because, oh, I like this functionality over here and I like the way this app does this and I really like the way this service handles this thing. And we kind of piece them together like open doc style a little bit. And then we realize, oh, there's something off the shelf that would just do all of this much better and be much more integrated. I think, you know, that's a difference, right? As a company, we have to make different decisions than maybe we would individually. And uh, I think uh, I think that is totally easy to fall into. I think that's a great point. So, if someone wanted to get with get started with Airtable, what would you recommend? Um, you know, I'm a big believer in just signing up to the thing and just spending an afternoon tinkering and just playing around with it. I, I mean, I think I don't I don't think I looked at any guides at all um for Airtable I just thought okay it's quite intuitive you know it's 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 a no code platform so you know you don't need to be a developer to to make it work um and I think that it is it's visual enough that you can just make an account have a look around um I remember actually they did do a really cool thing which was they had like um examples of how other companies were using Airtable in some ways that perhaps you wouldn't first think of. I did have a look through those initially. Um, I think it's good to see what other people are doing just to give you an idea of, of you know, how how to start. Um, I think they have some templates as well. And as always happens, I started with a template and then immediately went, no, it's not what I want. I, I want to build it from zero and make it exactly, you know, how I want it to be. So so I think I did start from scratch. Um, but yeah, I really recommend that people just um, try it out, see what other people are doing, um, you know, create a couple of tables, play around with the different views. I think views are really useful um, because, you know, you can have them in the different the different any way that you need to process that information, I, th- I feel like you can you can do that with Airtable. Yeah, views. Let me just let me just interrupt there. Views are the key, mm-hmm. really, because 
Like you can yeah. create views for anything. You can filter anything out with views, but you need to keep one version, the original version with like the original, just raw data. Don't impose views on that one, make copies or, or make additional views for each view you want. Um, because you, yeah. you definitely want one where you can just go in and see everything and make changes and then let the views be kind of your, your window into that data. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And links, you know, cross links. I mean, it, it's, it's a web tool. So like you can put a link to your OmniFocus project or, you know, that key email or whatever, you know, the, you know, contextual computing works with Airtable. So that makes it kind of nice. And, and also be careful who you share it with. Sharing is great, but don't share it with team members that don't know what they're doing because they can mess up your data. <laughs> Wait, is that why I'm not allowed in our Airtable? <laughs> Dang it. We had a meeting, Stephen. Don't ask. <laughs> yeah. Don't let yeah. them in here. Um, <laughs> there is actually a handy feature where with the views, you can lock them. Um, and I think actually, I can't remember what happened, but but Mike was having a, a look in the Airtable and was doing something and then moved something and was like, oh no, I moved something. Take a look at that. And I had a look and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you've just you've just done this. And he was like, you need to stop me from being able to do that. I was like, okay, hang on. So so I figured out a way to lock the different views so that the views couldn't be messed with essentially, um, which really helped when it came to... Um, kind of hooking the Airtable up to the Slack. It helped to have the locked views um, because then that way someone couldn't accidentally, and I think, Stephen, this has happened before where I've accidentally dragged, you know, however many records or added, you know, 100 records to a particular view and the Slack's just gone absolutely wild with like 100 new yeah. entries. That's that's definitely happened on more than one occasion. Um, so so being able to, um, to lock the different views is, is good for that. This episode of MPU is made possible by Indeed. When it comes to hiring, you need to trust your gut. But what if you could give your gut some help? When you want to find top talent quickly, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites hopping around, looking for candidates, hoping they have the right skills. No, no. Do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows that 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Instant Match is really incredible. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely, three times more likely to apply to your job than the candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed data. Join more than the three million businesses worldwide who are using Indeed to hire great talent. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. So visit Indeed.com MPU. That's in, Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D. Indeed.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. A thanks to Indeed for their support of the show and Relay FM. Carrie, in addition to everything else, you've gone back to school. I have gone back to school, yes. Very recently, last September. All right, so what are you doing? 
So I am doing a part-time Master of Studies in Creative Writing at the University of Cambridge. And it's been something that I was thinking about doing for a while. Um, and then I think it was the year before last, I thought, okay, it's it's now or never. The, the 30th birthday was looming. And I always imagined that if I was going to do a Master's, it would kind of be later 20s, but pre-30. And I thought, I think now's the time. Um, so yeah, as of, as of last September, thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's going well so far. Um, it's definitely introduced some new aspects to my task management because now I'm handling, um, you know, student life as well, but so far so good. Well, and also, I mean, you've been surrounded by all these relay nerds for, for all these years now It has to have rubbed off on you (laughs) as you go back to school, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, so what are you using for your tools as a, as a Cambridge student? So in terms of hardware, I use my MacBook Air, um, pretty much exclusively actually. Um, so I don't really have anything school related on my iMac or my iPad actually. Um, so it really is just, it's all on the MacBook Air and I created a separate user on my MacBook Air so that, um, I don't have email on that user, and a, a, a few other things as well. I also set it to dark mode. I like that um, that whole idea. Of, of, and, and we haven't heard that one very often on the show where, um, you know, in order to avoid distraction, you know, you're going to school, you, you create a separate user on your device and you just intentionally kind of cripple the social media and some of the stuff that would, would cause you to be distracted when you log into that user. So like I'm now carry the student. I am not going to be tempted by this stuff. And then dark mode to just like kind of trigger your brain, right? You know, I'm in student mode. I'm in dark mode. Yeah, exactly. And I find that that really works. I don't use dark mode for anything else. Um, Everything else is on light mode. So, So it really does have that separation for me of, okay, I've just logged into, you know, the study user on my, on my MacBook and everything's dark. There's no, that, you know, it's not my usual apps, um, every, everything's a little bit different and it really does set the tone for that's because you're in study mode right now. That is an interesting point. Like I'm just thinking for, for other uh, listeners, like if you have like tasks that you really need to lock down on, like maybe like Carrie, you were talking about earlier, like things that get a hard calendar block, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have to use it just for student. Like if you wanted to say, okay, next two hours, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put up with any nonsense. I'm going to work really hard. Uh, put your computer in dark mode and use dark mode for that purpose. I wonder if anybody else is doing that. I, I'd never heard of that before, but now you've got my mind spinning on the idea. Yeah, and I think that um, it's crossed my mind that once I graduate, I think I will still use this. So I'm thinking that um, I'll probably rename the user to you know deep work or something, but I think that I will definitely keep this idea that I could, that I have a device that has a particular um, user that I can log into where everything's quiet and it is just, you know, the work's going to be done now. So I think that even after graduation, that's something that I'll continue for any deep work that needs to be done. Yeah. I, I would experiment with um, focus modes in your, in your case. I mean, they're only going to get better over time. I don't think Apple's done with this, but the, um, you can do a lot of that with focus modes where you don't have to switch users to, but uh, I was just thinking out loud here, I guess you could, have a focus mode called deep work and have a, tr- a shortcut that triggers when you trigger the focus mode to put your computer in dark mode. That mm. would work. But yeah, you may, you may want, yeah. I mean, but, but also I, I think there's also a ritual to logging out and logging into a different account yeah. that really is burning your ships. You really have no choice at that point. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, what apps are you using? So I'm using Obsidian um, for my school notes. Um, and I'm really liking how that's set up. Um, I'm quite new to Obsidian. So I was introduced to it a, a few years ago now, um, but I didn't use it immediately. So at the time I was introduced to it via um, actually the focused, uh, the focus podcast, um, did mastermind groups. You'll, you, you will remember well. Um, yeah. and I sneakily snuck into one and was like, yeah, put, I'll, I'll go in and in, I'll go into a mastermind group. Um, so I was put in a mastermind group with some really, really great people. Um, and we had some fantastic discussions about work and productivity and the apps that we use. And one of the members was a student. He was doing, I believe it was a PhD in astrophysics at the time and he used obsidian and loved obsidian and we were all very intrigued by it we were like what is this i feel as though obsidian has this mystical air about it or it's like yeah. what do you use that for and, magic and how thinking software yeah i get it yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so so one day he did a kind of like a presentation and he essentially just walked us through how he used obsidian for his university work and I was captivated but but had no use for it at the time um fast forward to last um summer when I got given a reading list longer than any reading list I've ever seen in my life and I thought oh my goodness how am I gonna keep track of what I'm reading and where my notes are going and it just suddenly a voice in the back of my mind was like you could choose obsidian and I was like oh I was just to be honest I was just thrilled that I finally had an excuse to use it because it just looks so cool yeah no um, it is so, fun yeah yeah it, yeah it's super super fun so so I downloaded that and I keep all of my notes there um from all the reading that I'm doing and I actually use it in lectures as well paired with some text expander snippets that I have that just kind of make note taking ahead of um writing assignments a bit easier so, so that's the system that I have for notes. And actually, um, I was in a lecture. We uh, the last module that I did was um, based on fiction, and one of my lecturers had recently had a collection of short stories published, and he was talking about the writing process and how um, he wrote so many short stories and looked at the links between them all. Um, and he had this really complicated. He said that he had sheets and sheets of paper all about the cross links and references between all of these different short stories yeah um and in obsidian you have those fantastic views where you can see the links between things which yeah. is what i um use and they're really useful um you know if if various lecturers mention a particular topic or a particular author it's so useful to see all the links to that particular thing, because then when it comes to writing assignments, I can see, oh, I've referenced this literary theory. Um, let me have a look in Obsidian to see what else I have to say about that. Um, so at the end of the lecture, I went over to him with my laptop, like a mad person, and was like, hey, I know you just mentioned that you, you know, have all these sheets of paper that interlink and, you know, you want to see the connections between all your short stories. Have you seen this? And I just turned around Obsidian of this, you know, yeah, showed him your graph view. Web. Right. Yeah. yeah, showed him the graph view um, and just said, look, this is what I'm using for notes. And, you know, you can kind of um, use tags and various other things to um, kind of see that information visually. And he was just like, oh, this is what I need. Let me write this down. 
Um, yeah. So, so I think it has. I think it has a few different um, uses for creative writers in particular because you know we're always looking at links between things and and where various techniques are used. Um, so, so I think the graph view has has been really really useful, particularly for um, writing assignments in my case. And so you're primarily using it on a laptop. Yes. Yeah. I'm using it on my MacBook Air. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really great for that. And it, you know, they've re- released version 1.0 now, so it's really uh, much more mature. It's it's moving slower, which is a good thing. You know, where for a long time it was like every week the app changed, and and now they've kind of solidified it. And uh, it just, I, I'm very uh, happy to have this available on the Mac. I think it's a it's a great tool for that. I I can totally see where you'd start school and say, oh, this is an excuse to use that. I I would almost be someone that'd be like, oh, I'm going to go to school so I can use this. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I've done because I've actually been reading all the classics because I love I have this great tool that lets me really manage them and figure out what I think about them. So I've been doing my own self study, I guess you would say, but. Uh, it's really good at that, and and I'm glad to hear that it's working for you. And um, you know, I think uh, what happens with a lot of people, there's like an, an I'm working on an Obsidian field guy right now, and there's a video I got called like the arc of Obsidian, and I feel like people get into it and then they take it too far, and then they back off. You know, it's like there's this arc where mm-hmm. you you say this is amazing, I'm going to do all my task management and I'm going to do all my whatever in this app. And before you know it, they like trying to run their whole life out of the single app. And then eventually they scale yeah. back. And it seems like you've kind of avoided that trap. You're just really using it for your studies, right? Yeah, I think I was just super intentional about what I'm going to use it for. And I was very conscious that I didn't want to have any um, work-related tasks in Obsidian or any work-related notes in Obsidian, rather, um, because then it just kind of voids the whole point of me having the the separate yeah. Um, the separate user. So, so yeah, so I feel as though I have avoided that. And I think that it allows me to be, you know, studying is an intense experience and I feel as though Obsidian is an intense tool, but yeah, I feel it's quite localized to that one area of my life. Nice. I like that. I like it. And so how is it working, like balancing between being a student and, you know, running sales for Relay and, you know, having some of your own time? Is it working out okay? Yeah, so far, so good. One of the things that really attracted me to the course is the fact that it's taught in residencies. So instead of going for, you know, two lectures a week or three lectures a week, whatever it would be for a part-time master's, um, it's actually taught in week-long intensives. So a few times a year, I go to Cambridge um, for a week at for a week at a time and study essentially all day. So it, it's long days. It's it's nine a.m. Um, through to six p.m. in lectures, and then it, it's straight to a group dinner. Um, and then after dinner, there are quite often um, more readings or presentations. Um, so you know, some days it's it's nine a.m. till ten thirty p.m. Um, so, so it's an, it's an intense experience, but actually it allows me to balance it with work really nicely. Um, because I think that if, if it was a more traditional part-time master's course where I, I was expected to, you know, be in lectures a few times a week, I think I would suffer more from that whiplash of, you know, switching between tasks and, and trying to have, you know, intense focus on a particular thing and um so I really like that it it, I really like that it's taught that way 
Um, and it, it's working out quite well. Um, initially, I tried to, in terms of studying and reading, I was trying to do um, a bit every day. And something about it just wasn't really clicking for me. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, but eventually, I decided that, okay, next step, I'll try just um, not studying, not doing intense studying during the day, um, reading in the evening, um, and then having Friday as like a dedicated study day. Um, and that actually worked out really well for me. And I think the reason is it, it's similar to that idea of logging into the, um, you know, the user on the the MacBook yeah. and it's like, oh, I'm in this mode now. And yeah. I feel as though Friday as a day is, you know, now I know that Friday is a study day and Friday is for studying. Um, so, so that's how I've, that's how I've set things up, um, so far. And I think it's working. I think that it took me a little while in the beginning to kind of get into, um, a flow with, with work, but actually it was more, it was more when I was away from the residencies, it was more like, oh, okay, how am I going to manage things in between? Um, but now I feel like I've got, I've got that sorted. And actually I do include the study days in my calendar, kind of as a time blocking, I guess, because once once a residency is over, we then have three weeks before we're submitting an assignment. And they're generally about 7,000 words each, um, which is quite a lot to do in three weeks. So so then that's when I really use my calendar for, I'll have Friday study days. And then in the lead up to the assignments, most Saturdays and Sundays are also study days. Um, and that's really useful then in the calendar to just, you know, have that have that event there so I know that this is what I'm doing today. I think I'm going to turn you into a time blocker, Carrie. I, I've just taken on a mission. You'll be hearing from me in <laughs> I'm Slack. Sh- I'm showing early signs, aren't I? I'm yes, showing early yeah, signs. I think there's some work. hope here. I think there's some hope here. <laughs> <laughs> Hope's a word for it. I don't know if it's the, the right word. Uh, but no, I mean, you seem to do uh, a good job at, at drawing lines between things, right? Whether it's tasks go in mm-hmm. here or work apps aren't on my phone or I have the separate user on my MacBook Air. I mean, I'm sitting here talking with you today. It's like, man, I do none of those things. Everything is a jumble all the time, right? <laughs> like uh, yeah. I couldn't separate my personal phone and work phone if I wanted to. And I think it's admirable because it's it's easy to get in a position where you have access to everything all the time and it kind of means you work all the time or you're you know dipping in yeah. and out of things and not spending real time in them. And I get the sense that, you know, things like Fridays or school days, right? Then that's the mm-hmm. mode you can be in and you're not gonna uh, let things pull you out of it. And I think that's, uh, I think mm-hmm. it's very admirable. Something I wish I was better at. I mean, I think that context for me, I think context are really important. And actually, this is something that I used to use in OmniFocus more. Um, this idea of when I'm in a particular place, I can do a particular thing. Um, and that was something that when I was doing my undergraduate degree, that was really useful because there were some things I had to do at university and some things I could only do at home. So in that instance, contexts were good. Um, I don't use that now, but I think that the idea of context is very much embedded in my mind. So, you know, the idea that the office that I'm in now, this is this is where I work. And actually, when I study, I don't study in my office. I actually go to my dining room table because it's, I just need it to be completely separate. And I think that having those contexts, just I, I think it just does something. I think it's psychological triggers, cues. Okay, it's dark mode. I'm at the dining room table. 
I should be, you know, reading very deeply right now and, and thinking very hard about the things I'm reading. That's a very different experience to sitting in my brightly lit office with my iMac in front of me, you know, with a it's in light mode with a, a different desktop background. Um, I think all of these cues really help me to be productive in in the ways that I want to be productive, you know, for the particular tasks that I have at hand. Yeah, I, I would, though, uh, encourage you to take a look at the new um, focus modes in in all the stuff Apple's doing, you know, where you can, mm-hmm. because I feel like the type of things you're talking about, someone who has those sorts of interests, like setting separate contexts aside, those focus modes may have some features that may be valuable to you. Even if you're doing separate logins for student mode, um, you can find mm-hmm. maybe just even in your work or your personal life ways to use those focus modes effectively. I, man, I, uh, I feel like you're just on the tipping point, Carrie. I'm not going to leave you alone. Mm. Sorry. I, I can't help myself. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'll, I'll take a look at that. It does sound like it's interesting. I did look at focus modes when they first came out. Um, and I think I might've played around with one and, but just, just went in on it too um too intensely and was like sure. lock everything down and then and then I was like oh no this doesn't work I, I need to I need to unlock the things um but I think if I I think I think that it's worth me looking at it again with fresh eyes for sure yeah and you know they it's a lot better than it was the first year I mean because oh yeah I mean see when I've talked about it on the show so I won't go through it all but I mean they, they've added features that make it a lot easier to use the one thing I will never understand is why they limit you to 10 I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Mm. I mean, I, I for people who really want to use this feature, ten is a very arbitrary number. It you know, it it could have been a hundred. I think as easily it could have been ten. And uh, mm. there you go, Carrie. We like to end our interviews with people talking about some favorite apps and services that maybe uh, maybe didn't make the list in the main episode and you got a, you got several good things here. So what's up first? So first up is flux, um, which is the blue light filter that I install the second I get a new, um, MacBook or iMac because I just, I just can't look at a normal screen. The, um, like now that I'm used to it, the amount of blue light that I get from a, from a screen without, um, without flux is, is just too much. So that's the first thing, um, I download when I get a new device. Okay. Now Apple, uh, sure locked the, the, those folks, uh, with, uh, night shift that has been on the phone of the iPad and it's on the Mac as well. Uh, have mm-hmm. you looked at Apple's tools or what, what keeps you using flux? Because I like you, I used flux for years. And then when Apple did it, I was like, Oh, that's, that's mm-hmm. enough for me. And I, I sort of jettisoned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like having, I like having, um, the option to just click on, um, the flux icon and then hit preferences and then just swing the toggle down to blue, particularly if I'm working on something in Canva or I'm doing something, design related, you know, for my business, I, if I want to see kind of like the true colors, I like that I can just really quickly do that. And I guess that's just because I've used Flux for a while. I don't know if, could I do the same thing with Apple? Could I just quickly toggle it off um, I don't, in the middle of a task? I, I think there's a control center button you can set up where you can toggle it on and off, but um, I haven't right, used it okay. in, in years. I haven't, you know, this never really landed with me for some reason. I don't know. Um, flux definitely is more opinionated and it's, it, I think the filtering is even harsher with flux, but I, uh, but so, so you find that helps you 
uh, at night, I guess, probably get to sleep easier with the uh, with the lack of blue light. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I have so I have flux on all the time, so yeah. I don't really have it beyond. I think it's set to sunset basically all the time. Yeah. I just find it too harsh. Otherwise, um, I do use the Apple the Apple Night Shift on my um, iPhone, but I think that it requires a start and end time, or at the very least, the last time I looked at it, it required a start and end time. So it's set to. I think turn off at 4am and then turn back on at 5am. So so my phone is always set to that blue light filter. And then sometimes if I wake up in the night and look at my phone, like my retinas are just burned because I've woken up at like 4.30 and it's yeah. just the bluest thing in the universe. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's one of those situations where flux is the thing I was using before and I just didn't, I just didn't um, bother to, to look at the new, the new feature when it was launched because flux was just so happy sat there and, and I just thought I'll, 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 I'll stick with it. I'll keep using that. I, my, um, I'm always afraid because I I'm tempted to try it again, but I'm always afraid because like if I start recording, cause I do a lot of screencast recording and I forget to turn it off, then I have useless video. That's too yellow, you know, <laughs> but mm-hmm, the, uh, mm-hmm. but the, uh, I I'm very curious about this. If listeners are big fans of night shift or flux, um, let us know in the forums or send us a note when we do the next feedback episode, I'd, I'd like to hear from some people that, that are, uh, positive about this or negative about it, frankly, just to see how much of this is a thing. Cause everybody was talking about this three or four years ago and Apple added it. And now we never hear about it anymore. Do you use it, Steven? So you use it daily, Steven. Uh, I, I do. I have it. I have night shift off on my work computer because I end up doing a lot of design work. And sometimes I'm out here when the, the system would want to make it uh yellowy and that's annoying. But yeah. uh, I like Carrie definitely use it on my phone, have it on my iPad mini. Uh, I think I even have it on my MacBook Air. Um, and if I end up doing design work there, I'll turn it off. But uh, I do like it. I, I I don't think I'm quite as hardcore as Carrie is. Like if it went away, I wouldn't be heartbroken. But um, it is it is nice. I think especially on the phone, you know, because that's usually the thing that we all use too late into the night anyways. Yeah, I would definitely be heartbroken if it went away. If it went away, I would be the person buying like a like a physical filter that goes over my my iMac. <laughs> I would just use Flux. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, what are your other favorite little apps that help you through the day? So I've made mention to this a couple of times, but text expander is really integral to the work that I do. So I've been using text expander. I think I started using it about a year before I joined relay because I remember Mike having a, a relieved sounding tone to his voice when he said, do you use text expander? And I said, I do. He was like, Oh, okay, great. This is going to make this task so much easier. Um, did, did text expander so- get you the job? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, potentially. Yeah. So I I did work with Text Expander um for a number of years um on their blog posts. Um so there are there are many, many blog oh. posts on the Text Expander blog. Um, I didn't know that. Written yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked with them for a while. I was even on their sales team at, at one point. Um yeah, I had I had quite a few years with Text Expander. Um so I really got to see, you know, all the ins and outs, but but I was using it before then. I actually heard about it on a podcast ad, so it was all very full circle. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so Text Expander is really useful in particular for the sales work 
um, because, I mean, I already mentioned the um, kind of like the email templates that go out to people. I really like that with Text Expander, I can kind of build those emails in blocks rather than just having one entire template because different sponsors have different questions about different things. So having everything... Um, having snippets for different sections of our process that explain different areas is really useful and different responses as well to different you know types of sponsors that we have sometimes maybe it's not the best fit so you know I have a polite decline response that that goes out kind of just explaining why um, and also for the longest time I was trying to refine my process for advertising copy that is for the same sponsor, but it gets updated per episode. So this is the case for a lot of our sponsors where they update the copy for every single episode that runs. And and it can quite often be different for different shows. So it was a real back and forth um, to try to decide, okay, how am I going to manage this copy? And I went through a few different processes, all of which were absolutely terrible. Um, And, you know, there's nothing worse than the incorrect copy running um, because it just causes a ton of problems for everybody. So it, so it was really important to me that I found a way to really make it work. Um, and eventually I thought, what if I put the copy into Text Expander, the entire ad read into Text Expander, and then I could label it the, the, the exact name of the copy. Um, and then when I get the emails to say, you need to use this exact copy for this exact show, I can just go to that show in our system and expand that copy rather than what I was trying to do before, which was store the documents because quite often the documents were similar but not identical. And that's where the problems came in. Like, oh, this one word was read incorrectly. Um, And it was because I hadn't noticed that there was one word different or, you know, a phrase different um, in the copy. So, so text expander really, I I feel as though at that point when it became a part of the copy system, that's when it really became like an integral part of, of, of my workflow. It's a great app. Um, what else? So finally, um, this, this one's a bit out of the left field. Um, but I thought I would pick the app that I'm kind of enjoying the most the moment, um, enjoying the most at the moment, which is an app called Wearing. Now, this is an app that allows you to digitize your wardrobe. Um, so I love style. I read a lot of um, style blogs and follow a lot of different style bloggers. And my aim with style is to curate a wardrobe that is both functional and long lasting. And that also means periodically making an investment purchase. So what I really like about wearing is that you can add items in and see how it fits in with the rest of your clothes. So I have the clothes that I have in wearing, um, you can upload them individually from the camera roll. It does a really nice thing where it removes the background. So it just looks like a cutout, which is really cool. And then you basically just have an inventory of, of what's in your closet. Um, And then if I'm thinking about making a particular purchase, I can get that picture from the internet, add it to wearing and see how it looks with the various things that I have. And sometimes it's like, oh, okay, this wouldn't make sense to buy this because it doesn't it doesn't really go with anything. I might like the item, but it doesn't really go with anything. Um, It also allows you to kind of log daily looks to work out your cost per wear for an item. Um, This is something that I've seen style bloggers using a lot on the internet, but i kind of take more of a um, minimalist approach to my wardrobe. I have what I would call a capsule wardrobe. So so that feature is less relevant to me. Um, but it does have like a fun 
clueless style feature um, called Dress Me, which is where you can hit like a, a shuffle button and it will just grab like a top um some some pants and some shoes and put it all together in like an outfit and then you can choose to you, you might think okay I definitely want to wear those shoes and you can pin the shoes and then shuffle the rest so so it's it's a fun app for anyone who is kind of really into style and uh or just a fan of the movie clueless and always wanted to try an app that would uh that would dress them <laughs> I, I actually find it stressful like trying to match clothes I'm just not good at it at one I just at some point I just realized I'm just gonna buy lands in pants and lands in shirts and they match, you know, <laughs> and because mm-hmm. they're made by the same people. <laughs> but the, uh, mm-hmm. So I, I could see this also helping you with uh, avoiding stress, the stress of it, right? Yeah, okay, computer, figure mm-hmm. out what works for me today. Yeah. And it's super good for, um, it's super good for packing as well. So um, I'm going to Cambridge next week. So I'm going to be packing, you know, outfits for I think seven, actually maybe nine days in Cambridge. Um, so it's really useful because it's I can kind of figure out outfits where I can pack the least number of items but get the most number of outfits for the day. So yeah, it's a very good tool. Um, David, I'll do you a deal. I will start time blocking if you digitize your wardrobe on on wearing. Does that does that work for you? I, you know what? I'm in. I'll do it. And, and that's wearing <laughs> with an H, guys. W H E R I N G. We, you and I, we're yes. gonna we're gonna figure this out together. Yep. You're gonna see. You're gonna be see a very sad man with a lot of gray shirts. <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Lately, I'm wearing a lot of Mac Power users uh, wear because we had just had that thing, and and they're very comfortable. And it's cold here right now, so those those Mac Power user sweatshirts have been paying off. But yeah, I'm I'm in. All right, Carrie. So where do people find you if they want to get in contact? People can search for me on LinkedIn and follow me there. And for any remote workers who are interested in online co-working, they can follow my passion project on Instagram at Flow State Creative. Oh, wait a second. You've got to tell us about that. So this this is my new venture. Um, something that was really kind of whirring around in the back of my mind during COVID, um, which is that, you know, I'm, I'm a remote worker. I've been remote for a long time now, basically straight out of university. And I've basically decided that there should be some sort of online office um, for creatives, freelancers, business owners. And I couldn't find one. So um, I've decided along with my team that we should start one. Um, So we are in the process of doing that. So our aim is to you know, have various people with their own businesses that maybe miss having the buzz of an office to come and join us and do our co-working sessions. Um, nice. So, yeah. Nice. You know, we've been doing that in the Max Barkey Labs now. About every couple of weeks, we do a two-hour session. And everybody who wants to shows up. We uh, A few of us will, who wants to can say what they want to do at the beginning of two hours. And we just work for two hours and we check in. I find it surprising mm-hmm. how effective that is. It, you know, I think there is something to be said for that. Like having other people present, even online, it adds like mm-hmm. a, um, an accountability factor, I guess. I, this is great. I'm going to yeah, check this sure. out. Flowstate-creative.com. Go check that out. And uh, anywhere else people should look for you, Carrie? Um, no, that is pretty much it. That is pretty much it. LinkedIn and uh, Flowstate Creative on Instagram. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find our forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And uh, thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, Squarespace, and Indeed. And we'll see you next time.